Critical race theory. It's a dangerous ideology which maintains that the United States is a fundamentally racist country and that American institutions such as the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, property rights, colorblindness, and equal protection under the law are are vestiges of white supremacy and capitalist oppression, all of which must be overthrown in the name of anti-racism. Popular concepts like wokeness, the social justice movement, cultural Marxism, and Black Lives Matter are all tied to critical race theory. It's interesting because the Bible does address this. In fact, the Apostle Paul tells us, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Jesus Christ. You see, false philosophies delude people. And that's why everyone needs to be aware that these deceptive worldviews are present and they need to be rejected. We're going to talk about this in this edition of Hidden Headlines, Faith, Family, Freedom. I'm glad you're here. I'm Brian Sussman. Well, thanks for joining me, everyone. Brian Sussman here. More on me at briansussman.com. I'm unpacking this topic of critical race theory because I want to equip you to be able to handle discussions and arguments properly regarding this dangerous theory. And it is dangerous. And I'll explain. Critical race theorists falsely accuse the United States of being a fundamentally racist nation. They ignore evidence that shows the family structure, educational attainment, and workforce participation are the primary drivers of inequality. I mean, this is why we we value, at least we used to, value the family unit in this country. You know, the family unit is quite biblical. I think God knew what he was doing. The family unit, educational attainment, that doesn't necessarily mean a college degree. It could mean a trade school, or it could mean an apprenticeship, or even a mentorship. But having something that equates to a career path is good for everyone. And therefore, workforce participation. These are the drivers of inequality. If you want to get rid of inequality in the United States, let's start with those basics. But you see, critical race theory seeks to undermine the foundations of American society and replace even our constitutional system with a totalitarian, anti-racist bureaucracy. And by the way, this is not minor league stuff. Critical race theory has emerged as one of the most influential academic theories in contemporary political discourse. It has swept the land. And the discipline's key terms, such as, you've heard all these, systematic racism, white privilege, 
racial equity have become part of the common vocabulary and the basis for a lot of policymaking at the local, state, and national level. The rise in this theory in recent years, you would have to admit, has been astonishing. So I'm going to try break this down as easily as I can in these minutes that we have together. In short, critical race theory proposes that the United States is inherently racist. It rejects national argumentation. You, you can't argue this. If you do argue, you're a racist. And that includes the scientific method or similar analytical tools. And CRT, critical race theory, places truth not in external reality, but inside the perspective of minorities. For example, something is just automatically true because a lot of minorities believe it to be true, and therefore there is no argument. CRT also has some corrective elements. Just like classical Marxism, CRT's cultural Marxism aims to overturn the inherently racist elements of society. So CRT is simply not pointing out how racism permeates our land. It seeks to eradicate racism in all its forms, including the dominant powers of, of society, which include government and even the church and the family. So this is a very revolutionary movement. And one can't help to wonder, even for a moment, what would happen if these people had power, if they got into power, if they ruled the roost from one end to the other? What would they do with those who remained in rebellion? I don't think it would be pretty. It's very important to understand a few things about false philosophies. First of all, every wrong collection of ideas has at least an element of truth to it. And critical race theory is no different. There is legitimate racism. There always has been legitimate racism. Because legitimate racism has existed as a tool of the devil to divide us. This is one of the main reasons critical race theory has enjoyed such a surge in America. You will always be able to find racists, by the way, in all flavors. And the history of America has been riddled with genuine racism. There's no question about that. The horrendous practice of slavery, African-based slavery in the early days of our colonies, which lasted into the 1860s and was settled with a civil war in which thousands and thousands of people died to stop the practice of slavery. Then discrimination-based Jim Crow segregation in the South was instituted, I might add, by Democrats and remained as part of the legal framework until the 1960s and beyond. Again, racism is real. And I want to repeat what I just said a moment ago. 
It's an effective tool of Satan himself. He uses it to divide us. And it's not just whites who discriminate against blacks and browns. It works in all directions. Racism and ethnocentrism are real. They are historic sins all over the world. And they have not caused just a little division. They've caused a lot of division across the entire world in all eras of history. And these iniquities have caused great pain and suffering. And racism should be repudiated by all, especially those who are Christian, especially those who believe in the Word of God. And it's important to make a distinction at this point. Just because critical race theorists have one thing right in that sinful ethnic superiority or racism has affected our society, this does not justify what they teach. I want to back up for just a moment and go to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, which provides a common definition of the word race. It says, any one of groups, excuse me, any one of the groups that humans are often divided into based on physical traits regarded as common among people of shared ancestry. In other words, race is a division of human beings along the lines of common traits related to ancestry. It's, it's not a scientific or even biblical category. Race as a term is steeped in evolutionary propaganda. It's being used as a tool to divide us. Evolutionary propaganda. As people have historically attempted to elevate some groups of people with common traits, a.k.a. races, as better, smarter, or more capable than others. But listen to this. Please listen to this. There is no scientific basis for race. 99.9% of human DNA is the same. There's little measurable genetic difference between the so-called races of blacks, whites, Hispanic, Asians, Native Americans, and so on. And the Bible doesn't acknowledge race as a category. Instead, what does it say? What does it say? It says, we are all descended from our first parents, Adam and Eve. Let's go to the book of Genesis, first book in the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. God didn't separate the Italians from the Irish or the Nigerians from the Egyptians or you can continue this. God made two people, two people. And from those two people, every other human being descended. <laughs> Even if you're an evolutionist, it's clear we all descended from two parents. We're all a part of the human race. You know, this is actually the beautiful thing. I realize that not everyone listening to this podcast is is necessarily a Jesus follower. I realize that there are some who really appreciate the Bible, 
You may be Christian, you may be Jewish. There are others who see it as a wonderful historical document. Whatever the case may be, you, you have to understand the Bible, it's an old, old book. It does distinguish between people groups and nations, but not races. Now, I'll take you to the New Testament for just a moment. This is the book of Revelation, that mysterious book of Revelation, as some would describe it. This is the Apostle Paul. So this is one of the followers of Jesus who wrote this book, and he was getting a glimpse into heaven. He was having a vision whereby he was getting a glimpse into heaven. And he said, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne of God and before the Lamb, that would be Jesus, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. That's Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. So the Bible distinguishes between ethnic groups of people, but not in racial categories of black and Asian and Latino, and white, etc. And this is a major complication for critical race theorists, especially those who want to somehow incorporate the Bible into their theory. Their entire philosophy is built on a social construction with no foundation in the Bible, or for that matter, in genetics, as I just mentioned we all pretty much have the same DNA. The second biblical problem with critical race theorists is their insistence on ethnic superiority and discrimination against whites, which some of them actually admit, and this is incredibly troubling. One of the prominent critical race theories, he's the author of How to Be an Anti-Racist. His name is Ibram X. Kendi. Here's what he wrote. The only remedy to racist discrimination is anti-racist discrimination. The only remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. The only remedy to present discrimination is future discrimination. Another author wants to hate white people so much that she prays for it. This was a story that was in the news recently. Her name is Shaniqua Walker Barnes. She is a self-proclaimed public theologian and ecumenical minister. She has a book called A Rhythm of Prayer, a collection of meditations for renewal. Here's one of her prayers. Dear God, please help me to hate white people, or at least want to hate them. At least I want to stop caring about them individually and collectively. I want to stop caring about their misguided racist souls to stop believing that they can better, that they can stop being racist. This is her prayer to hate white people. What she's spouting is classic racism. What she is spouting is ethnic superiority. And may I just be so bold as to say this, invoking God 
to aid in her sinful discrimination borders on, at least borders on, blasphemy. I don't know why, but in preparation for this episode of Hidden Headlines, I was thinking about a friend. This is many, many years ago. I was working in Columbia, Missouri. I had just graduated the University of Missouri, and I was managing a television newsroom. And there was a young man who worked in the TV station. He worked in sales. And we became fast friends. He didn't have, well, he was really struggling financially. I just didn't have, you know, more than two nickels to rub together. He was living with his girlfriend. His girlfriend was pregnant. Their extended family situation was uh, not the greatest, if I remember correctly. And we became very good friends. But our friendship was taken to another level, a different level, because I was sharing my faith with this young man. And here I was, a Jewish guy who had become a Jesus follower, sharing my faith with my friend from work who was a black guy. Our friendship went to another level, especially as he embraced the faith that I held so dear. And his wife did as well. And they began attending our church, which met on Friday nights and Sunday mornings. The church was primarily all young people, mostly 20s and 30s. Probably about 500 people would show up for a meeting. Most of them admittedly were white. And here is my friend and his girlfriend, fiance, who are black. We didn't see color. We saw in him Jesus. We saw in him a faith that was transforming him and his girlfriend, his fiance, before our very eyes. And it was awesome. To, to them, we were their family. And they were so involved and so engaged, such that they decided they were going to get married in our particular church on a Sunday morning. So during the worship service, they were going to walk down the aisle and say the I do's. And they did. And it was awesome. And there wasn't a dry eye in the house. So today, as I was thinking about my friend, I went online and just read about what he's doing. And and it would appear that he's one of these woke individuals. And it really hurt my heart to think about that because there was a time where he was a part of a community that didn't regard color. There was a time where he was a part of a community, if you want to regard color, where there were a whole bunch of white people who saw them, saw he and his wife as a brother and sister in the faith. 
And it's really sad, especially when I think about the fact that he has a advanced degree in divinity. Because God's word opposes ethnic racial discrimination. One race is not better than another race. We are all made in the image of God. God didn't create whites and browns and blacks and this and that and the other. All people, regardless of skin color, have been made to reflect the Creator's image. Former ethnic bearers, barriers are torn down when one applies a biblical faith. In fact, in speaking about the traditional animosity between Jews and Gentiles, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, now just to give you some, some background on Paul, he wrote most of the New Testament, but prior to becoming a Christian, he was a rabbinical scholar, a Jewish man. And he said, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Jesus the Messiah. That's in the book of Galatians in the New Testament, chapter 3, verse 28. You see, Jesus unites people from different backgrounds. He does not divide and discriminate as in critical race theory. This is why critical race theory is so anti-biblical. And when we focus on race, when we focus on ethnicity, and we allow that to divide us, we are playing right into the enemy of our soul's hands. If you look at the United States of America, and certainly if you look at most countries around the world, they believe that there should be one official language. Here in the United States, we have people from all colors and all ethnicities and all creeds who believe that there should be one language. That's not racist. It just makes for a more efficient society. There are also individuals from all colors and creeds, ethnicities, etc., religions, that, that believe securing our borders is necessary in order to uphold the rule of law. There are many also who believe that the Western canon is an important part of a robust liberal arts education. Talking about Western civilization, teaching American history, even classical music. You can believe in all those things while also thinking that racism is wrong and wanting to do something to stop it. But within this paradigm of critical race theory, that's not possible. You either resist the hegemonic white supremacist power structure, which includes Western civilization classes and things like Columbus Day and even classical music now, or, or you are a racist. There's no in-between. Now, that's hardly a way to have a productive conversation that leads to ending racism. 
So regrettably, this divisiveness can be applied now to all leftist doctrine, including especially Marxism, from which critical race theory is derived. Do you see what's happening here? Critical race theory doesn't seek equality. It doesn't seek justice. Instead, it categorizes people. As a result, one's gender, one's race, one's ethnicity, one's sexual orientation puts you in a position as either being the oppressed or the oppressor. And this is a status from which you are freed only when the entire system is overthrown. In other words, there has to be a revolution. And the revolution is said to bring about the utopian society that everyone has dreamed about. But that never happens. It's not a utopian society that is the result of the revolution. It's, it's authoritarianism. It's totalitarianism. I guess in recent decades, you could point to Cuba. You could point to Venezuela. You could point to Iran and even, even Lebanon. Those were once prosperous countries. Now, of course, they had their problems, but they were captivated by a revolutionary narrative of leftism of some sort. It might have been religious-based. It might have been otherwise. And they found out the hard way that revolution serves only those, are you ready for this? Serves only those in power. Leftism does not seek enduring notions of truth or good or justice. None of that. It seeks only to subjugate the other as a means of overthrowing an existing structure. And once that structure is overthrown, the leaders of the revolution will find someone new to subjugate. You see, this is what always happens in a totalitarian revolution. It's the workers or those who have become woke, who strive for the goals of the new regime. They are tossed aside like everyone else so that the elite can rule unabated. Right now, a rising enemy of the woke left are Christians, Bible-believing Christians. They're said to be incredibly intolerant. But can I tell you something? Those who have a biblical worldview acknowledge distinctions between ethnicities, but we want to promote ethnic reconciliation because God has graciously given us a solution to racism and division between people and groups. That solution is Jesus. There is no reason to be swayed by critical race theory because we can have everything we need through the one who died for all. Hidden Headlines. Faith, Family, Freedom. Thank you for joining me. More on me at briansussman.com. If you liked what you've heard, please share this podcast with someone else. And depending on the platform you're listening to this on, if there's an opportunity to give this a like, please do. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining me. Until next time, 
God bless you, and God bless the United States of America.